Hey, it's gonna be all good. Just drink all of the space Kool-Aid here with us on V'ger, please. Heinous trip at warp five. My name is Joseph. Am I drunk? Am I possessed? No, I'm your co-host, Peter. That means you're probably both, Peter. No, you. Ah, uh, well. <laughs> Some of these episodes, you gotta be a little of both to get through them, right? Oh boy, you know, I was, I had a few drinks before we recorded our last one on on Con Aramar, and uh, it enhanced the experience because it was right around Christmas. This was uh, perhaps coal on our stocking, though. What did we review this week? Speaking of Christmas, uh, Happy New Year's to you. This is the first time that we've recorded in a while. We ate up our little reserve we had there. Um, did we Did we have an anniversary? I can never remember when we actually started. It was December or January. It was January. We're coming up actually on, on the 5th anniversary of Idra Please. Five years. Five years. 2018 is when we started the show. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're nearly there. We're nearly there, my friend. Snap. It's, and it won't be long before this is going <laughs> to, we're going to have to start looking at doing DS9 and we're going to keep this, this train going. I have no choice. Much to my wife's chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> she has to take the kids upstairs and I go, is daddy going to do podcast? Podcast? Daddy podcast. And I'm like, yeah. Daddy podcast. Daddy podcast. Yeah, daddy podcast. Well, uh, what what episode of Star Trek did you watch instead of spending time with your adorable children this week? <laughs> Season two, episode eighteen, The Crossing. Uh, that came out April second, two thousand and three. Man, right up on my my graduation almost uh, from college. We're, we're we're getting into some real world years here. Uh, teleplay by Rick Berman and Bran Braga. Story by Rick Berman, Braga, and Andre Bramus. Directed by David Livingston. We've returned to poopy form. I uh, I was really excited to watch this until I realized it wasn't Judgment, which is next week's episode. <laughs> I uh, when that happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, the gap that we had since we last recorded, I just completely forgot this was what we had to do first. Not, not, I mean, it's not the worst we've watched. It's just, you know, if in the wrong direction, if it's, if Con Aramar was like the platonic ideal of the space prison break and really like managed to, to nail a Trek trope is about as perfect as it can be done from casting to, to structure, to action. Uh, This is. And the humor. Don't forget the humor. The humor, you know, just enough where it's like you're having a good time, but not so much that it takes away from some of the dramatic things you want to do. This is just like C minus material. This is what I like, just not quite average. It's just, it's eh. Whereas you were excited because you knew what judgment was. I was sad when I sat down to watch this and I, I read the uh, little caps and I was like, ugh, a possession episode. Real hard. <laughs> I mean, off the top of your head, what's the best possession episode you can think of? You know, DS9 has a lot of story built around the Bajoran religious faith and the aliens that are involved with it that are seen as gods by the Bajorans. And they have there's a possession episode of that show that's very well done. That's about it. That's the only time I think I liked it. I like the possession episode in Next Generation. I think it's Data, Troy, and Picard, and they're like convict spirits and they're very mean spirited and I don't know data fucks up Worf and you know is very quick to flex that Android which is ridiculous also that a fucking Android got possessed by some yes. sort of astral entity D- just did not make sense well it's right there in the same spirit as this goddamn thing <laughs> yeah, they, so, they, they, they fire it off right away right like we just join the story just as it starts uh, it's been a while since we've had any sort of a cold open where there's stakes or any real pressing business going on. Eh, no, no, no. Con Aramar. They're like, you know, they're in the space prison already. Like there, there's been opens where like the story has already started. Uh, but this is a giant ship that's moving at warp six, but Not doesn't just appear- giant fucking massive. That's half my notes is on this ship alone, right? 
So like you said, this ship, it's closing in. It's doing warp six, which, you know, for these guys, it's a big fucking deal. They say that ship is 500 meters, 500 meters wide. You want to guess how big the Enterprise D's saucer section was? Uh, 180. 457 meters wide. The entire galaxy class is 641 meters long. So way back in yield archer days, you've got some alien vessel that is effectively bigger than the Enterprise D. So already you've got like this wild sense of scale. And I'm like, all right, interesting. Like, and I guess that's kind of the cool thing too, is when you set the the timeline this far back, it's a great time to tell stories about empires that are sunsetting before the dawn of the Federation. And there could really be some wild twilight out there, right? Yeah. Some leftover tech from fallen empires or remnants of prior civilizations that there isn't really anyone big enough to like stamp it out or do anything to it. So they're just kind of out there existing, sort of like the Herogen are in, right, the, the, Herogen. in the Delta Quadrant. Or, you know, what you just said there always makes me think of uh, Final Unity, that CD-ROM game for DOS. That was the next gen. Yeah, this that- reminds me of a CD-ROM game for DOS in a number of different ways. We'll get to that. <laughs> um. So here's this massive ship that's basically coming up like uh, what are the giant whales that eat all the plankton and, and shrimp? Oh, beluga whales, blue whales, blue whales coming in. These dock doors open up in the front reads like, what the hell is that? They don't know how the propulsion system's working. They can't read any life forms. This thing's a total ghost ship. It overtakes Enterprise at warp closes the doors and now they're trapped begin credits instantly i'm thinking in my mind uh if this is the story we're gonna tell and this is gonna be basically humanity or starfleet's first encounter with a possession situation like you're playing with fire right Mm -hmm. because now every single possession story that happens chronologically from here forward is just going to look fucking dumb because every <laughs> especially in like TNG like oh my god how could this happen how could otherworldly entities be possessing our human forms like literally archer, the first time out you, you motherfuckers encountered this archer barely a year out into space has done it like this should be that this should make like possession scenarios as well-known and commonplace to Starfleet as, like, icebergs to the U.S. Navy. There is a, a interesting continuity that gets built of, like, Archer's initial exploration journeys end up being required reading for first-year Starfleet cadets be like, here are all the space hazards. We encountered them literally the first time we decided to venture into the stars in a serious way. You Instead got space pirates. You got space possession. You've space got madness. You've got space madness. Like space radiation. Here's here's all of the, the space horror food groups that you can look forward to feast upon. Or it will feast of- upon you, your entrails, perhaps your children. Instead of a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the Starfleet version's a, a Petulant Bitches Guide to the Galaxy. And it's just Jonathan Archer giving a big thumbs up on the, <laughs> on the cover. A Crybaby Manchild's uh, Guide to the Galaxy. The Dust Jacket has some like has some like choice quotes from like at Admiral Forrest of he never called for directions. No, I had no idea we had an actual guide to the future with uh, the cure for cancer and everything else in it. There's the keys one from, to warp six and beyond. There's another one from Hoshi. I broke up with him. <laughs> I broke up with him for a reason. <laughs> for a reason. <laughs> so they get overtaken. They're stuck in this thing. And I dismiss a lot of my my prejudice towards the episode. And I go, okay, maybe we're going to get some cool real fringe sci-fi here, right? You've got a ship that's larger than life. It sucked it into this huge, you know, we'll get a look around the inside of this ship, which is at a docking bay. 
Is it a shipyard? Who knows? It's just this massive cavern. And they start moving the cameras around and they can see some uh, some dancing Christmas lights off in the corner. Communications don't work. Weapons don't work. Propulsion doesn't work. Uh, so Archer gets. Uh, it's him tripping uh, Reed down into shuttlecraft, which all that stuff does work in there. <laughs> so they can kind of explore the space. I uh, so you already mentioned, in a way, the the way I was going to try and describe the episode, or at least what it reminded me of, and that was you mentioned the final unity, which was one of the adventure Trek games. So Trek video games have had a kind of rough history in terms of their critical reception, I suppose, and. Gameplay wise, I think people expect something a little bit more action adventure and uh, particularly in the early days, it was very point and click adventure, which I liked. I liked the TOS ones, uh, the 25th anniversary game in particular, and I actually liked the TNG ones as well. And this entire episode, right down to the goofy FMV level special effect sequences, felt like a micropose point and click adventure game. The plot, the, the, the premise of like the different events that occur during the, the episode, it felt like I was watching someone do a let's play of a enterprise point and click adventure game. With a big caveat being that this is a very advanced game where there's multiple endings, including a bad ending, which <laughs> Well, they actually all had bad endings, too, because you could screw it up and there could be game over. And, and depending on how you game over, it would have a bad ending. So that actually works in, in the exact premise we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, spoiler. And you were probably not enough of a nerd to play those, but and good for you because you you knew what women were like at a much uh, earlier time, time in your life. Final Unity, but it, it's been a long, long time uh, since I've do- gone down that road. So they get in the shuttle pod, they fly down, they land on the floor of the inside of this massive hangar on what appears to be a clear dome with more wisps, as they're going to be called in here. Basically, these uh, spiritual ghostly apparitions. My kids, speaking of which, uh, the oldest came down and watched a majority of of this episode and was very interested in the idea of basically demonic possessions. Okay. (laughs) So I'm sitting there like trying to explain like what happens to your body when a space ghost, that's what this, these are space ghosts. I'm sorry. Space ghosts and nothing when the space ghosts hit you in the face and take you out. So that was a whole other layer of viewing for me on this. Uh, We get treated to some real bottom of the barrel CGI humans trying to walk in spacesuits. Some of the worst I've ever seen. There's a human body walking in four separate parts stacked vertically. I don't know what it is with the effects of this show that it's either really good or just absolutely like PS1 cutscene level. But this was more PS1 cutscene level. Just (sighs) what comes down to are they showing ships and and you know, inanimate constructs, or are they trying to show something vaguely organic looking? Because they got their starships down to T. Yeah, and then like, maybe that's it. Like, their models are really good when they do, and they know how to animate it, and they know how to light it. They're like, because that's what they like. That's what they want to do. It makes sense when you put it that way, because, like, the artists who are doing this stuff, they want to do, like, starship things. That's yeah. what they signed up to do. And it's like, do the interior of this weird space whale and they're like uh i don't fucking know <laughs> like boo <laughs> i want to i want to do the cool klingon battle cruiser you know like i don't want to i want to do, do wolf 359 yeah well yeah with my with our new digital effects we could actually do it oh no do the do the inside of the space whale. do fluidic space but blue they're down they're walking around and a couple of these space ghosts come floating down and everybody pulls out their their phase pistols because that's what you do when you're out exploring and you know 
encountering Are you the strange president? new world. I have something for you. <laughs> Are you the president of the space ghosts? I come in peace with my gun out. Uh, and then this thing, the space ghost charges right at Trip's face. And instead of shooting it, everybody just waits for it to hit him in the face. And uh, the blue space ghost goes in and then orange space ghost comes out. And we get to meet Colt indoctrinated trip. So it it only lasts very briefly there, I believe. Like he's, you know, like just kind of like looks like he's just unresponsive and then it switches back. It's not until later that we get the cult indoctrinated one. But if you're if you're Malcolm Reed and you're Jonathan Archer and you've got your guns out, like what were you expecting the spirit to do to do something aggressive? Were you like expecting him to put up like little spirit hands? Like Queensberry rules. Let's let's tussle. Like, yes, it flying at one of you is the aggressive act. If you're so concerned that you have the gun out, you should shoot it then. I don't know, would have done anything, probably wouldn't have done anything, probably was correct not to shoot, but like then why did you get your gun out, you dumb fuck? They were waiting for it to pull out a little ghost knife and say, step back. You've come to the wrong territory. Like, yes, this is the wrong side of the warp core. This is the spirit. Yeah. The first time it just like comes in and comes out and then trips like, oh, captain, I was, uh, I was hanging out with my girlfriend at the, at the pool. It was great. It was like I was there. And then when they go back inside, Flox examines him. Trip is fine. But like Archie's like, I don't like where this is going. That seemed to be weird. It seemed to be very weird. We should probably get out of here. So the out of body experience has two parts, as Trip puts it. There's a part one, which is he leaves his body and he's looking down at the group. He can see them, but it's not with his eyes. And it's very, uh, you know. Uh, near death experience, right? Yeah. And then he gets to go into like the top shelf, live your fantasy portion where it can be going back and revisiting old memories that you cherish uh, or, you know, the, the deluxe treatment where you're riding along with hop along Cassidy or, or whatever. And, you know, flying an X-Wing with Luke Skywalker and just living it up. Most of Tripp's experiences focus on his life back in Florida. You know, you can take the Florida man out of Florida, but you can't take Florida out of the <laughs> Florida first man. Time you get that space possession and that offer for a little bit of that Hellraiser style, uh, um, you know, fantasy realm. He's right back there eating ribs. I don't like Archer in this episode. I I fundamentally don't like this episode, period. I feel like I, I'm curious, going back to the production notes on this, uh, if Andre Baramis had very different intentions and then Rick Berman and Braga came in and uh, goofed it up. Could be. There's There, I, there are two things I liked about it. Uh, one very small, one very large. Uh, the large thing was... I really like to Paul as much as you, as much as I also agree with how much I disliked Archer. I really liked to Paul to felt so much more like lived in and was responding to things in a way that reflects everything that she's been through up to this point. She felt different in this episode, particularly in the way she appealed to Archer. Just like, just fucking listen to me, bro. The difference like, that you're feeling uh, is her displaying some degree of agency for a change. And agency being... and almost like something akin to emotion, you know, like not quite emotion because she's Vulcan, but something that comes up right up against it, you know, mm, very let's restrained. That, let's call it investment and concern, whereas a lot of the other dilemmas they encounter, she is very distant and aloof. You know, this comes hot on the heels of her being the, you know, eating the entire bowl of boss bitch flakes and sorting out all the space fashions off camera. Like, she's definitely been a more interesting, she's been a better, you know, officer and a more interesting character. But also, I think it has reflected 
some of the story things that have happened over the first couple of seasons in a way that's finally starting to pay off a little bit. Uh, I really liked that. The other thing I really liked, and it was a very small thing, was in the next scene where after like Archer and Paul kind of like quickly catch up, like this is a bad situation. You got, you got trip working hard on the warp core and like his subordinate comes down and then suddenly the spirit moves back into him and he's like straightens his back and goes, I am fine. I am going to go now. Goodbye, sir. To his subordinate. And then well, you know like, who that was, right? I don't know who the, I, the guy's Rostov, but I don't remember the actor's name. Rostov's leave brain. Oh, that's Leaf Brain? Yeah, we haven't seen him since uh, Space Reefer Madness. I don't think... No, uh, it is yes. not. He is He is it not is. Leaf Brain. He was in Vox Sola two days and two nights in this episode. He was not in Strange mm. New World. It's a different guy. Different guy. That is not Leaf Brain. But... The guy that he was spoke, speaking to, Rostov, was like... Yeah, that's not okay. And like immediately calls Archer and be like, hey, boss, listen, this is what just happened. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Trip's being possessed by an evil alien. You should get him. Like, no hesitation, no wondering, no like, oh, he's this, you know, he's my boss. He's allowed to do what he wants. It's like, nope. Nope, not accepting this for one second. I have seen enough that I'm calling it in. <laughs> Yeah, that's a man who's hungry for a field promotion and knows the only way for him to go up is for Trip to go somewhere else. <laughs> or at, at a minimum, has self-preservation instinct. They've been on this boat long enough and they've seen enough wild shit where he's like, that was out of the ordinary, immediately contact my supervisor. <laughs> he's like, listen, I've tried to get this guy kidnapped at least six times and I have background string pulled him uh, being stranded or caught up in love interest. Just anything to get this guy out of the command section I want to occupy. Thank God he's finally possessed and I can like try and get him declared unfit for duty. This is the only guy with any fucking common sense on the ship in terms of being able to diagnose. Hey, uh, I know that presumably I'm guessing that, you know, there's some degree of dissemination of information to the rest of the crew that like there's these incorporeal space ghosts that might be able to possess you. And he's able to put two and two together and say, this person seems fishy right now. And I'm going to uh, Occam's razor that he's probably possessed. And that is a skill that nobody else will be able to demonstrate. The most infuriating example is going to be, read into Paul down the road. Uh, but, you know, my gripe about Archer and all of this is that there is no spirit of exploration present whatsoever. And his face gets rubbed in it yeah, during the second possession encounter. But it's like, this is the shit you're supposed to be out here to see, right? Stuff that humanity and, and even the Vulcans have never encountered. None of this is in the Vulcan database. This is all brand new. And uh, you know, wishy-washy, I-, I lean in whatever direction the plot needs me to change a heart. Um, Archer is so narrow-minded and conservative in this that it's really distracting. He never entertains for a moment what's going on except through extreme skepticism, right? Like, that's the real problem. It's not that he doesn't suss it out or figure it out. It's that he never shows curiosity for what's going on. Just like this is bad and we need to get away from the situation as quickly as possible. And really, he never tries to negotiate. He doesn't try to find. I mean, his solution is horrific. Yes. Like extremely horrific. And. It just seems like there was a beat missing where he he's like, I don't want to, you know, we need to find a way to like communicate. We establish first contact this really like new kind of alien life. This could be very important. And then whatever attempt he makes to do that fails. And then that leads him to more extreme measures like that. That's okay. Getting to the extreme measures is fine, but you need to like 
provide some reason for why it's acceptable. And instead it's just, nah, fuck them right from the start. I like that. He does become aware of potential prejudice in his feelings towards these. Cause he's given that captain's log and he says so much as like, you know, uh, I'm wondering if I'm having a hard time with this just because they're so different. I hope that's not the case, but uh, so I guess through that lens, like sure, we know he's got beef with the Vulcans and that, you know, he's got his own prejudices. And if this is just a facet of that, I guess it would kind of he's require... literally interrupted in that reflection by flocks, like coming in and like saying, yeah, these guys are confirmed for bad. They tried to take me over. They couldn't cause I'm Denoblian and that means I'm special, but yeah, fuck them. They just cut off Archer mid thought of like, I hope I'm not wrong to can so that the script can reinform Archer that he's totally right. And he can just go to the furthest extreme from this point forward. So uh, Rostov, as you mentioned, uh, witnesses trip being possessed a second time, which confirms that the space ghosts can penetrate the hull uh, at their leisure. And Archer and T'Pol go off, I believe, along with Reed, and they track down Trip in the mess hall where he has all of the foods. You would think that the EMH is hiding in there somewhere, wanting to experience everything for the first time. And that's a very familiar sight, right? I'm new to your body. I'm new to your life. Uh, I want to enjoy the pleasures uh, and that always comes down to like, you know, chocolate cake and pecan pie and a T-bone steak, right? So he's eating all this stuff and it gives Archer the first chance to really communicate with these guys and try to figure out what they're about. And that's that's really where all the complaints about Archer come out. There's no. He doesn't even ask what his name is. What are you? You know, tell me about yeah. your people. It's give me my friend back and and get the hell off my ship and let us go right now. And, and, and you can see Janeway being like, if Janeway was in this position to be like, okay, so what do you guys need? What's going on here? Tell, tell me your story. Is my, is my officer unharmed? Will he be returned? You know, like interrogating politely, you know, what's going it's just to gather information, right? And instead, Archer's just pissed that his friend is taken over and just forces the issue as quickly as possible. Which is amazing, because the last time his friend was directly in uh, harm's way, which was back in Dawn, uh, when he was in Mortal Kombat with Reptile, Archer was perfectly happy to, you know, play nice with the uh, the the mean spirited lizard people who gunned him down sight unseen. So, again, more. uh, wishy-washy archer here so he you know stomps his boots and and makes his demands and at this point the interactions with the space ghosts are pretty pleasant just saying you know we're like you we're explorers um you know this is all very new to us uh we're able to give you new experiences and exchange as we learn about you it's a pretty good elevator pitch um it's kind of silly and self-contradicting though. And it's like, you're over here saying that you guys have at least the capability of warp six, but we're the first corporeal beings that you've ever encountered. I would have appreciated if uh, someone in the cast would have drawn attention to that, that this is a, a cockamamie uh, proposal that this thing's making. and And that could have led to the wire extreme measures necessary to get out of the situation, right? Like, you build in these layers so that eventually the crew members, maybe someone like Paul can start to like piece it together to say, no, and it's very unlikely given the size of this vessel and its speed and the amount of distance that it's traveled, that it somehow never encountered corporeal beings within this part of space. Like they would, yeah, we can't go 15 minutes without running into some space dickhead. Yeah. Like wiping mud all over our carpet and trying to steal our stuff. You, you know, it's you think you would have missed that planet with all of the nice people with the Mr. Rogers sweaters? I don't think you would have. Uh, so. Archer makes his demands. Trip comes back into his body. 
the doors open up and it's kind of a show of goodwill and enterprise is able to use its thrusters to leave this massive space whale. And we can see from the exterior shots that the warp nacelles are still dark, indicating that they don't have the ability just yet to get the fuck out of there. Uh, but that is Archer's intention, which again is silly because we know this thing can move at warp six. So you can't outrun them. It would seem like maybe we should figure out a way to, to diplomacy our way through this. But uh, Archer's hell bent on just getting the ship back up, ready to go and getting out of there as quick as possible. As they're releasing the ship, like part of me is like, I would like the episode just to be over now. I think if they just <laughs> call it here and it's like, wow, that was a weird experience. It was different. And I don't think I really liked it. Like, I think that would have been a better story than had they continued deeper. And it keeps coming back to me like. What I want to see out of these Star Trek episodes. As a 40 year old, not at all being what I think they the network and the production people wanted these episodes to be. And if it was you and I writing scripts, the amount of slice of life episodes and just, wow, that was weird. I got to make up my mind on that. Like, would that have flown to the average Star Trek viewer back in 2003? I I think that you and I probably like that more than the average viewer or the would be viewer or the demo they're trying to capture. But I don't I think that that's, there was more room for it than they permitted themselves because of their extreme desire to try and capture as much market share as possible. So they purposefully steered away from things that were a little too continuous, a little too inside baseball, a little too like not action oriented. And that's what I'm getting to is that, you know, they want to tell action adventure stories instead of sci-fi. Yeah. They don't want to tell lower decks, not like the series, but the episode. Well, I would say even the series as well, like that, that that's one of the charming things about the lower decks cartoon. I like is that there's a lot of low stakes stuff that goes on in there. Yeah. I mean, that's the and whole I reason why they, they positioned it the way they did. Um, so, you know, had I been able to rewrite this episode and not immediately end it here as well, that was weird. It was like, this is a first contact that went well and, you know, leaves us with a good taste in our mouth as we do explore what this race has to offer. And, you know, finally, we meet aliens that are radically different from us, but not, uh, you know, trying to wrap us in spider webbing and suck our guts out, which is basically, you know, the two dimensional villains they're going to try and turn these guys into by the end. So they're making their repairs and the, the next uh, victim of the position uh, possession train is Reed tries to flee from the spirits, but fails. And then suddenly Reed decides to make very, you know, possessed Reed makes very awkward well, passes on. on an extra in the turbo lift. Before that, whatever hesitation Reed had while in the company of the captain in terms of shooting this gun, once he's alone and left his own devices, one of these things floats into the armory or whatever. He has no compunction whatsoever about just going weapons hot. Oh, yeah. I don't know if heals one right off. I don't know if there should was like a, a quick sides meeting between Reed and the captain where the captain's like, listen, if any more of these come in, we need to defend ourselves. And the Rubian like to make it clear, I do have permission to shoot my my death ray at the new alien of this week. Yes, Reed, you can shoot away. <laughs> he does to no avail. He is possessed. He makes a pass at an extra in the uh, the turbo lift fails and so decides to go visit uh, sub commander boobies herself while she is in one of her many uh, far too revealing night outfits in her quarters. And of course, to Paul very quickly is like calls for Archer to show up with the security team because uh, this is very sus. Reed is not acting himself. Well, before that, though, and this is my complaint is like arguably the smartest person on the crew who knows damn well that there's possessions taking place. Reed shows up out of the blue. uh, 
talking to her in a way that she has never once observed before. And her first assumption is, are you drunk? What? <laughs> what? Are you doing drugs? Is that what well, you're doing? Is, that's the are you subplot. saying they're smoking crack? We didn't know that Reed is addicted to crack. The characters know that Reed's addicted to crack because they catch him smoking crack all the time in, no, no. in the Congo is, Bay. Is, is T'Pol smoking crack? That her first assumption is that Rita's drunk when you know these fucking space no. ghosts are possessing people. That's what I'm saying is that T'Pol just knows that Reed drinks all the time. Listen, and that's why she said uh, What the hell was his name? The guy who got killed right at the end that Bolana punched in the face who was smoking pot behind the cargo bay pods. Oh, Joe, Joe Carey. Carey. <laughs> Joe Carey yeah. was the one smoking weed yeah. in the cargo bay. Yeah, that's Reed. That's Reed stick in Enterprise now is he's the secret drug addict guy. Well, and it was it was um who did we say found his stash? It had mm. to be Neelix who found Joe Carey's stash after he died, right? No, it was uh the the Borg boy. Oh yeah, that's right. It was Echeb. Echeb, Echeb yeah. found his stash. That's how he turned into a man. So he found <laughs> Joe Carey's old 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 uh Alpha Quadrant Kush. And helps himself. I like the heavy emphasis on gender and the differences in gender and the uh, space ghosts fascination. Hell yeah. Uh, with this human concept. Very the, the, uh, the idea. Yeah. Very before the times. Um, I don't. I hadn't really looked at things from the cult angle that you've been joking about until you started making the jokes. But now it. It's there, and it's another thing I don't like about the episode. And if we go back to what was the uh, Vulcan Cenobite episode? Oh, uh, Meld? Meld. Not Meld. Meld was the Voyager episode. I keep saying it's Meld. Um, but yeah, we, we know what one we're talking about. When the, when the Vulcans who are in touch with their emotions show up. Yeah, and it's like, here's a group of people who could be something different and interesting. Uh, but they are going to be the secret bad guys and the key to the really reinforce or opening the door and showing you their nefariousness uh, comes down to this, this rapey vibe. Yeah. Like the second possession is a weird rapey one. It's like really couldn't just like uncork that late. Huh? You had to like, just just immediately make sure that both the characters and the audience know that these are the bad guys. Got it. No dramatic tension on this whatsoever. Right after you built it up with Reed or with, with Trip, rather. Right. Like we're explorers. I just wanted to try this out. Thanks. I'm out of here. And then you could have like built this idea of the rapport being built. And then you could have had the sinister third act reveal. Instead, you're like, nah, fuck it. Reveal it now. <laughs> Like, uh, okay. Herman era Trek, I'm noticing that's always the vehicle that we unveil, that we unfurl the black wing of evil. It's not like they're cannibals or thieves or some other um, delinquent behavior. It's always the rape vibe every single time, every time. And you go back, it's rife through all of Voyager, uh, the blue ball episode. It, it's always getting too close using my mental powers. And that's also the tie in there, too, is like I have some sort of ability to telepathically bridge our minds and I'm going to flash my my potential rapist card at you. And you go, oh, OK, cool. You're you're from that department. I understand you're evil. Thank you. Uh, beyond all in, uh, questions, you're evil. I'm tired of seeing it. It's it's lame. And uh, I think that they could do a lot better than that. So, so the the next big plot beat here is to Paul and flocks have to work to find some method of detecting infested people because uh, there's a lot more reports going on the ship of people acting fucking weird. And fortunately, it does not apparently uh, take them much time to see that there's some biological marker that is very clearly elevated in the people who are possessed. 
so they can have a medical tricorder that can read, you know, is the imposter is not the imposter automatically and uh, are starting to figure out who is still reliable and who is not. While this is going on, Trip asks Travis to go to the warp nacelle catwalk. A nice little callback because what happens is one of the spirits tries to get him. He runs up there, slams door behind him and actually stops the spirit from interdicting him. When he finds out that whatever that special sauce alloy that prevented all of the space radiation a few weeks ago and why the entire crew was locked up in the nacelle for weeks apparently works on these guys too. And not only that, but that little command center that they built there, they kept there. It's still there. Along with all the beds. So uh, that special material that's in the walls of the catwalk that deflects the space ghosts, it's U.S. dollars. And what has happened here (laughs) is that they have spent a lot of money on the catwalk set. And, and by God, they got to make it work. <laughs> like, so we built this thing. You're going to use it at least three times this season. <laughs> yes. Space ghosts are fiercely allergic to capitalism and balance books. So they wave this expensive new set piece at it. And the ghosts are like, no, no, no. We can't have any of that. I, I mean, I liked the idea of their having some I love continuity it. for the fact that they they have accidentally hit on the idea of a, like a battle bridge. In Absolutely. the most roundabout way possible, you know, of like it's installed in the fucking cell because that happens to be this weird spot where uh, there's this extra shielding against these weird hazards they keep running into. Yeah, I, you know, at this point after this episode, I think that there should actually be like chairs installed to the floor there. Yeah. As they like realize like bar stools. Minimal you know, chairs. Do something. We were just being lazy before by not clearing that old command center out, but like uh maybe we that that porta potty needs to be like permanent plumbing and uh we need to upgrade the captain's seat off a bucket with a net over it. I do appreciate that it was still a bucket with a net over it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just still it was right there. <laughs> the bucket had not moved. So they keep playing on this, like, you know, oh, we want to, you know experience everything that um, corporeal humanity has to offer. Part of this, too, is that uh, a statement's made by the trip space ghost that we used to be like you and that we have evolved beyond it, which for a second there was kind of like a cool, like, maybe this is the precursor to Q, you know? Something, maybe there's something here, yeah. By being in you, we can learn about our own past, blah, 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 gender, this and that. And I'm like, you know, your your fatal flaw in all this is that you're going after the male crew members. Had you just inhabited the girl crew members and been this forward, I think you would have had a much easier time uh, accomplishing your agenda here. And right about that time, uh, there's going to be a new possession that happens and it's going to be old Hoshi. Yes, Hoshi is one of, again, with the sinister possession. She's like the most cult-like of like, you'll understand. All of you will join us soon. One of us. One of us. I think that possessed Hoshi is the most interesting Hoshi and engaging Hoshi and the best Hoshi that we have seen on screen so far. I think Linda Park shows here that uh, she makes a much better vaguely bad guy than she does whatever the f- boring oatmeal character they gave her. And I was sad to see her not be able to continue with this character. You have no passive. idea how correct you are. <laughs> like, there's going to be a moment where this this statement you made will flower in a p- very particular way and you will be ju- you will be. Uh, fully vindicated in your opinion but yeah like going back to the episodes where Hoshi has been a major part of the proceedings she's been the most interesting when she's been sort of like catty and and dismissive and sort of not really serious about her job so she's like can be kind of shitty but in a, a fun way 
And this is just, okay, well, this is all of her regard for people turned off, right? What does that version of Hoshi look like? Ooh, okay. That's interesting. I like it. Uh, Archer sees that she's been turned. He calls for the security goons who, by the way, those actors are the two security guys that have just been able to pop out of the door looking stern at least 12 times this episode. <laughs> they were, they're working it, man. They're up and down and all that around. That was a good paycheck for these two actors. <laughs> uh, so they plan at this point is that Archer is going to try to, well, the, the, the security goons are uh, forcing everybody to uh, remain in quarters who has been possessed while they are evacuating the non-possessed crew members to the catwalk hazard area. Silly concept here because they see what's happening. Uh, They're not just being bum rushed by fucking space ghosts who should have been able to have like completely taken the crew over within like 20 seconds. Instantaneously, right? There's no explanation for why they didn't. Plot holes abound in this stupid thing. Yeah, like uh, they can just go through the ship at any time, just possess people until they happen to go into the nacelle and are just obviously watching them the entire time. So why they let them do that when there's thousands of these things on the vessel too? like they're attack, they're approaching their plan like a bunch of ninjas circling gently and just fighting them one at a time and giving yes. them every opportunity to come out of this. And not since the fucking sad sacks have I seen an alien race assault a Starfleet vessel this slowly after they've secured everyone in the catwalk to Paul comes up with a plan of like, we need to figure out what these guys are about. And because I have like super Vulcan mental discipline powers, I'm going to go ahead and head down there and let them, one of them possess me. And then I'm going to kick them out. And then I'll have, I'll, I'll run that Intel back up here. And Archer's like, that sounds super dangerous. You probably shouldn't. And that's when you get a good to Paul moment of like, you need to just trust me. All right. Like, unless you got a better plan, no? All right, I think you should trust me. Because what else the fuck else are we going to do? And sure enough, he goes for it. Meanwhile, Flox is the only one who is down in the normal part of the ship because he can't be possessed. And gets called into to Hoshi's quarters because she claims he broke her leg. And then we I get, love this. <laughs> we get this vicious cat fight where Hoshi tries to whoop him and take his gun well, to like free the hostages and he's got to he's got to desperately grab a hypo spray and jabber in the let's, ankle let's, to let's play this out because this is good this is this yeah. is my favorite part of the episode bar none uh she calls flocks and says uh hoshi sato needs your help there's been an accident her leg is fractured and she is in a great deal of pain right now which is a neat way of reporting like sorry i broke your friend Right. And uh, he goes down there and he's got like a phaser in one hand and his little medical kit. And he's like, all right, get away from the door. I'm armed. Uh, No nonsense. And he goes in there and she's just laying on the floor, very flat faced. Which, you know, is is par for the course is from what we've seen. Also, there's been an interesting development here where apparently uh, the space ghosts are able to access like memories of these people so they know how to use the technology and like know what a fractured leg is and stuff like this. And then Flox is like, okay, well I'm going to scan you and he scans her. And then he goes, Hmm, you're lying. And then she snaps to life and <laughs> fucking like tries to choke him. <laughs> like just goes him. in the abs into the corner. And it's like, why not just zap her ass? Let's just be like, the tricorder says uh, everything's fine. Next thing, pull the trigger and stun her. Yeah. So clearly he gives her, that she's up to no good. Just stun her. He Just opens her. the door. She snaps up, slams him into the wall. They start fighting. She's like, I need to know where the rest of the crew is, uh, which, you know, would leave you to believe that they can't perceive anything that's going on in the catwalk. And this is where my favorite part of the scene happens, where. She goes back down to the ground. Flox is still up. The camera zooms in as she begins to bicycle kick him in the dick. <laughs> like fucking Liu Kang just 
<laughs> left, right, left, right, left, right. <laughs> just Flock just... stumbles back. Uh, Dick a kicked. Grabs the hypo spray as she's lunging up again and drugs her a- as she goes down. And I, I had to go back and rewind it. And my wife's like, did she just kick him in the dick like six times? <laughs> and yeah, so that's my, uh, I don't know, that might be my favorite part of this entire season, honestly. I, I liked that, like, the next shot is Flock's like, oh, God. <laughs> just, like, limping <laughs> through the hallway, like, fuck. And then you've got, like, Archer, like, how's it going, Doc? He's like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> it's all good. I don't know. Hoshi does a lot of squats here. or something. How are you? Hoshi's thighs are way too strong. And that, that was... Hoshi's spitting the, doing the fucking leg press in the gym a little too much. We gotta cut her off. That's she something. got like full extension, man. It's a, she kicked me so hard I shit my I shit my robes. It's not okay. <laughs> Bitches for real. We can't we can't know more with this. It's kind of a cool moment too, uh, because he has this immunity to the space ghost possession. It's this a nice throwback. It's fucking ass whooped by an Asian lady, that's for sure. Yeah, don't <laughs> <laughs> missed out on that immunity. Him acting as this free agent in the infected levels of the ship. It's a nice throwback to Voyager. How uh, the EMH would always be the 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 man still active. Uh, while the human crew is cowering in fear somewhere. So they're going to come up with this plan. And uh, the plan is... Well, T'Pol, we're just gonna... T'Pol gets possessed. Her plan works. She gets possessed. She kicks him out. Uh, you know, uh, Phlox is there. She comes out kind of panicked. Of like, we don't have time. I need to get back to Archer. We got fucking problems. And goes up and goes like, yeah, so there's like thousands of them on the ship. Their ship doesn't work anymore. They don't know how to fix it. So they're just, while it still works, they're trying to find enough corporeal beings for them to possess so that they can, um, you know, not die from their ship no longer working. And that's when they get to the plan, which is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to solve this problem? And their solution. Joe, I'm going to ask you. It's fucking let's, bizarre. Let's let's throw this episode aside. All right. I'm, I'm going to cut you. Okay. <clears throat> Joe, you're a Starfleet captain. Got it. An ancient race of uh, strange aliens has encountered you. Uh-huh. Their ship is badly damaged. It's falling apart. They're uh-huh. going to die if they don't get help. Got it. How do you fix the situation? What do you well, do? Well, if I'm Captain Joe. Okay. All right. Um, I would I would turn to T'Pol. Because I'm Captain Joe here. I'm still it, the NXO1's captain. You know, yeah, so yeah. I've got, all, I've got all those people. I'm like, well, T'Pol, you've just proven a definite ability to have one of them in you and then kick them out. So you're our best bet as a as a uh, communications envoy. Uh, now that we understand their motive, they've, like, they've got a problem with their ship, and that's why they're doing this. And there's thousands of them. So even if they took us all over, it's not going to be sufficient for their needs. Right? We're just a piece of the puzzle. Uh, I'm going to send you back down there with a proposal to say, we understand your issue. How about we help try and help you fix your fucking ship? So that way all of you can continue to exist. And you know, you, you will stop trying to possess members of my crew and we're going to go out there and we're going to see what we can do with our corporal bodies to fix your ship. See if we can understand the technology, see if we can re- do something to repair it. Wow, Joe, that sounds like a great... Yeah. You must have graduated from diplomacy college. Because I obviously did. Yeah. Not only are you going to maybe make a new friend, maybe uh, discourage this massive ship that's bigger than a galaxy class from like hijacking other people, maybe let you get your hands on some super advanced, cool technology you could bring back to Earth. There's a lot of pros there. What Jonathan Ooh. Archer... Or <laughs> Jonathan Archer says is we need to get out of here, kill the entire possessed crew. Maybe we can resuscitate them back to life. And then we're going to try to fly away from the ship that can go two degrees of warp faster than us. And if worse comes to worse, well, I've got something for that too. His literal plan is what if 
we close the garage door and turn the car on and wait for nature to take its course and then like reverse it and then maybe everyone will be okay listen they literally picked carbon dioxide poisoning i am no medical scientist professional doctor of any kind but i know enough to know that this is something you don't fuck around with in the real world like oh yeah just give them a touch of the carbon dioxide poisoning and let them asphyxiate we just run by and 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 help them out it'll be fine they'll be fine there'll be no damage whatsoever bitch are you for real no no that's not how that works these you're gonna give them all brain damage, John. What the fuck are you doing? The amount of information that DePaul is able to extract from the 40 seconds she is touched by this thing is ridiculous. Not only does she know their plan, she also knows all of their weaknesses. Like she got like a full scan on these guys. And then yeah, exactly what you said. So like I'll buy that maybe in the 24th century, the EMH does have access to federation necromancy but when it's flocks curing things with space leeches that get lost in the wound and you have to pee them out later um hmm so uh part of me wanted to name this episode who needs the transporter when you have poison gas if your goal is to ultimately just kill everybody in your crew and take their soul uh this is a ridiculous concept and also too the the wild gamble that all right we know that uh these are like Anne rice vampires they can't drink the blood of the dead otherwise you know it'll kill them we kill all of our friends with brain damage the things fly off w- what's your guarantee that the friendly space ghost uh memories of your friends aren't like in space ghost jail or somehow unaccessible that they're just going to magically suck back in from wherever they're at and you're going to get all of your friends put back together again. You said it before plot holes abound. Everything about this plan is stupid. None of it actually solves for any of the potential uh, complications and it probably gets everyone killed. (laughs) This just checks all the boxes. If all of the boxes are AIDS, you know, like this is just not good. So, uh, Phlox goes off on a mission to flood everything with uh, CO2. Uh, he has to get baby walked through how to kill the crew and, and you know, jam up the exhaust system. Meanwhile, while this is going on, Trip's lurking in the back. We've already had uh, scenes between Archer and uh, Mayweather. Hey, where's Trip at? Oh, we don't know. He's off acting strange. It's... So weird that, you know, we don't know where he's at. Again, no fucking second thought to, oh, God, you don't think he's possessed, do you? Like, these guys never played D&D. They've never encountered a doppelganger. Like, well, in, in, in defense, it is Mayweather who's looking for him. And, like, Mayweather is, you know, he spent all that time next to that warp core. He doesn't, his critical thinking skills aren't great. Everybody should be like, someone is hard. The re- There's just red flag. It's, it's. It's an unforgivable plot hole. Rostov was instantly able to diagnose that, hey, this guy's acting a millimeter off kilter. I'm going to call it in the captain. And over and over again, the rest of the crew, bridge crew, is confronted with these situations. No one stops to think twice about it. So uh, he's in the back listening to what's going on. Space Ghost Trip knows, all right, uh, they're going to thwart our plans. We need to get out of here. I got to get out there and I'm going to stop this guy. Uh, presumably, the space ghosts cannot communicate with the rest of the space ghosts, which I would think once you're out of the catwalk, he could have just depossessed the body, flown off and told his friends and they could have like sworn any number of things could have happened differently than they did. Uh Flox is in the fucking EV suit trying Flox to like is very slowly doing an adventure game puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what he's doing is like, take off the panel. Which of these things do I pick? It's so boring too. like ta- it, it's I guess they tried to play it for comedy that he doesn't, you know, like he's going to be talked through everything now. And like for he all the really- memories 
that they're able to steal off their human hosts. Luckily, luckily, Trip is able to suppress whatever memory he has of the advanced tactical maneuver of hitting a motherfucker with a pipe and or space wrench. That was right after he like laid out Mayweather with probably the best space punch I've ever seen. When he's that like running good. away, he like that was opens the of th- Chakotay, Chakotay yeah, what, punch that, of approval. It was it was a full rotation hook to the face, just like <laughs> Mayweather goes down like a sack of bricks. He's you know he's the heavy dude, like yeah, bam, and I'm out of here. And of course, you know Mayweather, he's not he's not he's not taken aback too hard by it. He's back up very quickly, but still, well, best this is also hot on the heels. Sometime. This is also hot on the heels of uh, Trip hitting that Nausicaan over the head with a space wrench after hitting Reptile <coughs> over the head with a space pipe. So uh, that should have been a fresh memory. Instead, Space Ghost Trip finds Flocks. There's a, a little fight. Uh, by the end, Flocks hits Space Mayweather. Uh, I'm sorry, space trip with a door. Takes him out, floods the tubes, kills everybody with CO2 poisoning. And uh, resuscitates him just in the nick of time. Meanwhile, literally the end of the episode, except for one last thing, which is little, little tiny one, little, little tiny thing, which is they're trying to get away. Of course, the space whale is going to eat him back up. And he's like, launch torpedoes. They shoot. Two of Enterprise's notoriously shitty torpedoes that can never do anything to anyone. It flies into the open door and they one shot the giant space whale ship with it. And it explodes and kills all of the space ghosts. That's it. So roll credits. Genocided the whole race. They're all dead. Roll credits. Yeah, roll credits. No reflection. No discussion, no captain's log, just, all right, we we solved the mystery. No Reed looking surprised. I had no idea it would do that. Oh my God, I'm so sorry we just killed all of those people. Every other time we've used this, it's like, you know, everything's just shrugged it off, bounced off, if not like bounced back into us. Like that was a huge mistake. My God, what have we done? Uh, you know, we could sit here and 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 hammer harder on the concept of like maybe it could have helped and there could have been like a really good thing. I think that there's a certain level of uh, species eight four seven two where like, hey, there's clearly some reasonable ones in there. Just because you know the asshole one got a hold of uh, Reed and made him like you know rapey and maybe in this case instead of it was Kess talking to uh 8472 marine it was kess talking to uh i don't know one of their prisoners or some narrow right. well so wow that <sighs> this is a bad one it's not awful it's not awful i mean like it's if season poo has given me anything it's perspective on these episodes right like i found way more to like talk about and dig into on this than ha- probably half of what we've watched this season. So more than half. Yeah. Like this is bad yet it is elevated over the crap enough that I didn't, I did not hate the experience. It was fun. It was fun thinking about flocks gassing his own crew. It, you know, the adventure game parallel Hoshi whooping the shit out of them. <laughs> like there were, it had its moments and to Paul was, it's actually interesting and showed growth. So that's one thing you can pull out of it, but it was just disappointing because there was, there could have been a really good or a really interesting episode. Had everything gone along merrily and, and they would have been able to part ways on good terms. Uh, I think that's the episode it should have been instead of uh, fucking genocide, but that's enterprise for you. Well, I I guarantee you we're watching something more interesting next week because this is what I wanted to watch this week. So what is it? Uh, season two, episode 19, Judgment. Archer is charged by a Klingon tribunal for helping rebels try to escape the Empire. It's funny. I was just thinking about how happy I've been that 
uh, we haven't had anything to do with Klingons lately, and I'm not happy to see that we're going into a Klingon episode. It's a good one, though. It's a really good one. It's interesting in that, you know how like a lot of Enterprise has helped to give you a lot more background about Vulcans, and that's been like one of the more interesting things it's chosen to do. This is a great episode because it does that for Klingons and gives you like backstory about like what has the Kling what is the Klingon Empire and what does it look like and what is its story arc, right? Like where is it in its evolution? And they go back to this well a few times, of course, throughout the, the run of the show. And they get to to pull out uh, a solid guest track actor, uh, J.G. Hertzler, to play a Klingon, because that's what he's famous for doing. And uh, it pays off. I'm literally looking forward to watching this. This is one I've watched many times. So, J.G. Hertzler was uh, in Sun Kanatsuke, right? He was as the uh, Herogen, but he is far more famous for playing General Martok in DS9. Mm. So, mm. Well, we'll see. All right, and we'll see you next week. See ya. <laughs>